you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. All right, well, guess where you can open your Bibles? Over to John chapter 8, okay? We're still going to start there. So we've been uh, doing this series on uh, that has just been called Gospel Gleanings. We've been in this all summer. Uh, and if any of you are, are visiting and are interested, you can um, go out to our website, rmcmchurch.org. And you can pick up the other teachings on this. But the last couple of weeks, we have been in John chapter 8. And I'm just going to pick up kind of where we left off yesterday. Actually, I'm going to go a very different direction than, than I thought I was going to go this morning. But we are going to start here where we left off last week, which was in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And so here in these verses, uh, Jesus said, if, if you've forgotten in the last five minutes, he said, Uh, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now we've pretty much, we're all familiar with the truth will make you free. It's sort of, we've, we've kind of reduced it to that. And while that's true, it's a very small part of what Jesus just said in that phrase. And boy, did bring a lot of that out. But I want to start, you know, he says, You know, there are a lot of things Jesus could have pointed to and did point to in other places that would define the characteristics of what it means to be his disciple or be his follower. You know, know, we've been doing this a long time and culturally uh, we, we tend to go through various stages of, you know, what we think, what we call ourselves, that kind of thing. And right now, Jesus follower is a very popular term. Nothing wrong with that. It's good. It's a good term. Um, his disciples were followers, that's true. But a disciple is essentially an apprentice. An apprentice is someone who goes to work, not just for someone, but with someone. And the, the basic definition of that term from the Greek is that they are learners. Okay, so they are there to learn. And they are there to, uh, and I'll just, since he's not here right now, I can embarrass him. Uh, it was doing some things with Kalita yesterday, our our drummer who works for Fred and, and I guess for Jeff. Uh, but anyway, he is a guy, the experience I've had with him <clears throat> is he wants to learn. He's just always, whether we're talking about spiritual things, whether we're talking about, we were going out to cut wood yesterday. So we were talking about trees and chainsaws and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he just absorbs what you're saying to him and he and he retains it and he wants to put it to work and that's the essence of a disciple it is a person who is there to be apprentice so they're there not just to work with somebody they're there to become like that person and to carry on that person's work they're there to absorb not just knowledge but that person's ways their skills their techniques that's the idea of uh, what we have here as a disciple. And it's just interesting to me that in this case, I mean, we all know that Jesus said people would know we were his disciples by our love for one another. 
And he used the term agape there, which is the God kind of love. It is a servant-hearted love. It is a love that is not based on what that person can do for you, how beautiful they are, any of that kind of stuff. It is a love that is fully, it is given. It is. It comes out of the giver. It is something that the giver values that other person, the lover values that other person so much that they choose to love that person no matter what that person does or doesn't do what they can contribute to that it's a different kind of love and that's how God's love works and it and so Jesus said in one place that they'll know they the world will know you are my disciples because you will have that kind of love working through you and just to get a little farther off track, that uh, says over in the book of Romans that that love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. It's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So that kind of love actually resides in us. It's not just a human love. It is the God kind of love. And, and it is something that we can move in really by faith toward God because he said it's been deposited in our hearts. And so as we choose to recognize that and put faith in that, we can love people beyond our own natural abilities. And, and whether whoever that is, I mean, that's the only way to love your enemies, for sure. It's the only way to love some of your friends, honestly. It's, you know, if, we, if we're all going to be honest about it, to love other people, if you're going to love other people long term and you're going to walk with other people long term, you're going to have some challenges in human relationships, some big, some small, but God has provided something of himself so that we can love people in an amazing way. So we know Jesus said that. He could have talked about, uh, you know, he said that uh, when he, you know, let me back up just for a second. All of these verses we're looking at, really all of the Gospels, that's a unique period in God's history on the earth. It It is a period where we're moving from the old covenant to the new covenant. And we're moving from a period of, and this is kind of what we've been focusing on the last couple of weeks, a, a period of law, living under law, to living under grace and fulfilling the law and the prophets and the principles through the empowering grace of God. So, so Jesus is coming into a culture that is established and built in the Old Testament law. And he is presenting new ideas because we are just about when the Holy Spirit's poured out after his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, and on the day of Pentecost, we find in Acts chapter 1 and, and chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, we move into a whole new time, uh, the new covenant. We move into this time that, that nobody ever experienced since the garden of God being able, you know, being able to indwell them, to be present with them in the way that he is with us. So, so Jesus is speaking these things. And he, during that time when he got ready to send his disciples out, that was one thing he pointed to is that, you know, wait here, in Jerusalem, because the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit, and you're going to have you're going to be empowered to go out and be my witnesses. You're not just going to have to go out there and and think up some kind of schedule and and figure out how to be a witness. You're going to be empowered from the inside by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses. So he could have said that about disciples, that here's a characteristic, and, and that would be true. But in these verses, he points to this that it's abiding in the word. It's abiding in the word that is a primary characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And so we've all probably got different layers and, and levels of our, and I'll use this term, relationship with the Word of God. You know, Jesus is the living Word of God. Jesus, but, but the, the Word of God and Jesus, the, I, and I, I don't mind saying this, the Bible is Jesus in written form. It, it is the Word of God in written form. We know the Word of God personally, Jesus. We have a relationship with Him. And he says here, abiding in the word, and, and this is a continuous theme in his teaching. He talks in, over in John chapter 15 about the whole vine and branches relationship. It's, a, it's an organic, living type relationship that he's talking about. And that word abide, we, we got into this last week, it means to make that, whatever that is, your primary dwelling. He's saying, make the word of God your primary dwelling. And we can all think about, you know, you're here this morning. I have to assume you love the Lord. You love the word. That's awesome. Where do we live? You know, I think every one of us can look at that. Not out of, you know, not for any condemnation, but just to, I, I know that we can grow in this idea for the rest of our life, that the word of God, his, his ways, his principles, what the spirit of God speaks into us personally, all of those things, scripture, that's where we want to live. We want to, Jesus in one place talked about building our lives on hearing and doing the word of God, right? Building our lives. And he said, that life, yep, storms are going to come, things are going to happen, but that life will stand because the foundation of it is the word of God. And that's what he's talking about here. He's really talking about living in an immersion, in a conversation with the Lord. And and that doesn't mean, you know, we go off on a mountaintop and isolate ourselves from everybody. That's not even what he instructed us to do. You might do that for a short time. He did. But then, no, no, whatever you do, in your business, in your family life, whatever you do, that is a ministry for you. And it is a place where you impact and touch other people. And when we are abiding in his word, then the life of that word just organically flows through us, changes us, and flows out from us to other people and has the capacity to go into their life as seed and to change them. And that's what he's talking, he says, that's a, that's a, a primary characteristic of being a disciple. And, and this particular word for word, where it says, abide in my word, it's the word logos, which is the whole counsel of God. So it's not even just our favorite scripture. It's not living out of a little, they used to, I don't even know if they still have these. It's probably online. They used to have little promise boxes where every day you'd pull out a little card and you'd read your promise. And, and you know, that. there's nothing wrong with that. I have a calendar in my office that's several years old, but, you know, because there is still every year there, there is a July 23rd, so you can still flip to it. It doesn't matter if it's the same day of the week. And it's from Rick Renner, and he did it several years ago. And each each day that there's just a, a Greek word and a and a great description the way that he does uh, of that word, and, and it's just really cool. It's it's like any other type of devotional. Well, that's great, but if that was the sum total 
of my involvement with the word of God, that wouldn't be abiding in the word. You know, it's, it's, that's just a great little supplement. A lot of the things we have, they're great little supplements. Some of you get a little scripture emailed to you. Some of you get, you know, different things. Those are all awesome. But what, I, what I'm saying is, this is saying the whole counsel of God, well, that's a lifetime process of getting to know him. Just Boyd hit it really well earlier. This whole thing is not just about knowing facts from the Bible. It is about knowing the author, growing in knowledge of the author, and applying what he's showing us personally day by day. The Holy Spirit is one of the best definitions of his role in our life as a coach. He's just like a coach. He's a personal trainer that goes with us everywhere. And he always points us to Jesus. He points us to the word of God. He gives us that wisdom and that insight in tough situations where we don't know what we should do or how to handle it or what to say. He's there to bring that word up in our hearts. So, so Jesus is, is uh, talking about this here. And then again, and Boyd did a great job on this. I was surprised. The word no here, no, I, that came out wrong. That <laughs> came out totally wrong. No, I just, you dug into that word no. And we brought this out. This is a unique word. There are several words for no. I'm trying not to, you know, I just have to say it again. This one, it means to have the beginning knowledge or recognition and a completed knowledge. And it's exactly what Boyd said. It's, it's something that we get as we apply it, as we walk in it. And uh, so Jesus said all of that. And he, he said that as you live in that environment, abiding in my word, gaining this constant dynamic knowledge of him and of his word, that that is going to produce freedom in your life, okay? So that word freedom comes up a lot in the New Testament. We're told over, uh, uh, Paul wrote that wherever the Spirit of God is working, there's freedom, there's liberty, okay? Jesus said knowing his, knowing the truth, will make you free. There are a lot of, I mean, there's a, the whole book of Galatians is about living in freedom. So I want to give you some definitions of that word because it's really interesting. And then with the time left, we're going to jump out of here and, and go over and look at some things in the book of Galatians. But um, everybody doing okay so far? Three of you, awesome. That's, <laughs> that's all I need, man. Okay, so this word freedom, all right, I'm going to read you a couple of different uh, people's, uh, this, is, this is from Zodites, a uh, guy named, Greek guy named Zodites that has written some really good um, dictionaries of New Testament Greek. He says that, this, that freedom that Jesus is talking about is a signal blessing of the economy of grace. Okay, so we're living in an economy of, of grace in the New Testament. The, the underlying functional element in the New Testament life is grace, which is not only, it is the unmerited favor of God and it is divine power to enable us to do what we could never do on our own. Okay, that's the definition of it. So that's the economy of heaven. It's the economy in which we live. And he says, this is a signal blessing. In other words, it's it's a, it's, it's one of the first things we run into, freedom, that signals that grace is active, freedom, okay? 
And he, he says, it's freedom from a system of religious law. So we're not just living under rules and regulations and trying to keep those. We're living empowered from the inside by the Holy Spirit and grace. Freedom from a system of religious law. And freedom uh, to live by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We no longer strive to restrain our appetites and desires. We now we're empowered by grace to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so that's what that's what freedom means. Because we have a lot of weird ideas about freedom. Is why I'm going through this. We think freedom just means I can do anything I want. Nobody can say anything about it. That is not a godly idea about freedom. Okay, and it doesn't work in that, in the natural either. It doesn't work. For us all just to be totally independent, that's called anarchy in the in the earth. But we kind of like the feel of it, you know, and it's it's just not what God's talking about. So then W.E. Vine's dictionary says that that the structure of this sentence emphasizes that setting us free was done one time but it has an eternal effect. Okay, and this is just one of those, English does not have this tense when it's talking about things. Greek does. It's one of the wonderful things about the Greek language. It, it was done once. This setting free was done when Jesus went to the cross. It was done when he paid for our sin. It was done one time. He doesn't have to come back and set us free, set us free, set us free, set us free. That freedom is effective and powerful forever. And so what happens is, as we get to know the truth and we are operating in his word, we tap into something that he did once but goes on into eternity. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so that's the idea here. Now this is, I, I think this is really interesting. So what when Paul talks about this freedom, he's, you know, he's talking to Greek people, Greek-speaking people, Romans, you know, whatever, but that culture, not Jewish culture, but Greek culture. And so they had a cultural belief that a slave could be set free by being purchased by a god. Of course, they had all these gods. So if a master had a slave and wanted to have them set free, what they did is they went together to whichever God's temple and the master, the slave, had no way to pay for his own freedom. He didn't have anything. So he had no way to pay. So the master who wanted the slave free paid into this temple treasury. You got to just let the idolatry part of this go and get the picture, right? He paid, the master paid the price into to this God's treasury so that the slave was essentially being purchased by that God, okay? So the imagery there is we had no way to pay for our freedom from religious legalism or from sin or from any of those things. We had no way to pay that. We couldn't pay the price for our own sin. So Jesus stepped in and Jesus paid the price. And so we exist now. Oh, and in that cultural setting, that person could never be enslaved again because they belong to this God. They now belong to this God, so nobody can claim them as a slave again. That was the cultural picture, and that's what Paul was speaking into. So Jesus steps in, pays the price for us and for our freedom, 
And now we belong to him. And the scripture tells us that. It says we're not our own, right? We were bought with a price. We belong to him. And he sets us free, but we are united to him. We are free in Christ. We are free in him, right? And so that's when Paul talks about this word, which we're going to look at in just a minute here, hopefully. Uh, this is what he's talking to. And the, and the primary meaning of this word freedom that's used in the New Testament is freedom, uh, freedom of access to the presence of God. Freedom of access to the Father. We no longer have to come to the Father based on our performance. Come to the Father based on our works or anything like that. We don't have to make up for our sins. Jesus already did that. So we have absolutely free access. That's the primary meaning of the word freedom in the New Testament. Freedom of access to God. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Think of all the millions and millions of human beings that have never known that, didn't live at a time when they could be called the children of God, when they could be his children and come to the throne of grace in time of need at any time, openly and freely. Even when we have sinned, that doesn't change the free access. Even when we've totally messed up, doesn't change the free access. In fact, the free access at that point is what brings us back, what cleanses us, what gives us the power to overcome whatever it was, to to get past that. It's the freedom of access. It's such a powerful thing. So in the next verses, they say to him, these again, these are Jewish people, they say, we're Abraham's descendants. They're listening to this. The truth is going to make you free. They say, hey, we're Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. They're living under Roman occupation, which didn't technically make them slaves either, but I, I don't know. It, it goes crossways in my brain. We have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. All right, we have been set free by the son. All right, we are members of the family. A slave doesn't have a permanent, that's, that was the point of what he did, was to give us a permanent place in the family of God. And he makes a statement, he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. All of us, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, we still sin from time to time. And, and we, talk, we touched on this last week a bit. I'll just mention it. You know, John, in, in his epistles, he makes it really clear that there's uh, believers sin, but we have, because we have free access, because we have freedom, because we have open access to God, we have this opportunity to repent of sin. We have this opportunity to go, and it says that Jesus acts as our, as our counselor, meaning a, a lawyer. He is our advocate in that situation. When we go, he's not standing there opposed to us when we sin. The difference is we as believers need to acknowledge sin not, and we need to meet sin in ourselves or in others, but in ourselves, that's, that's what we're on here. We need to meet sin with repentance, not with justification 
or I think that's I think that's just a silly old idea, you know, what whatever. We need to we need to if we're meeting sin with those kinds of things, well, I'm just not gonna do that, that is a problem. John says and very strong language that we hardly ever talk about these days, you know, is that if you're basically and I'm paraphrasing, but he says if you're a believer and you are comfortable in a lifestyle of sin, I'm not sure you're a believer. That's what he says. Oh, you can't question that. Well, John did, okay? In his writings, he did. He said, if we're comfortable with it, either our hearts have just gotten so hard that now we're, we're comfortable with something we shouldn't be comfortable with, or we never were saved in the first place. And that's a possibility. So get saved today. He's not saying you can't be saved. He's saying you need to question some things if you're just comfortable with the sin lifestyle. So instead, we need to meet sin Every time we find it, every time the Holy Spirit convicts us and reveals it to us, we just need to meet it with repentance and keep moving in that. And eventually you will overcome that whole tendency, whatever it is in your life. I will overcome that tendency. I don't have to live in that for the rest of my life. Okay, does that make sense to you? Okay, let's uh, go over to Galatians chapter 3. We're not going to have a lot of time for this. I'm going to do the best I can with it. I didn't know we were doing this until this morning. Um, I have, although I was in these scriptures during the week, I just didn't get the peanut till I was writing in this morning. And I really felt like the Lord was saying, no, this is where I want you to go at this point. So so Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is, is a book written uh, to churches in a region, Galatia, number of churches in that region, where Paul had gone in, he and his team, people had gotten saved, they'd gotten filled with the Holy Spirit, churches had been established, leadership had been raised up. They moved on as apostles do to another place, stayed, kept. Apostles, real apostles, don't just leave after they have established a church. They stay in touch and, and serve that those churches still. Anyway, that's another message. Um, so, so then uh, Jewish people came in behind Paul's team and told the people, it's great that you believe in Jesus, but you still need to keep the whole law if you want to be right with God. You've still got to keep the whole law. So Paul's whole message to the, in the book of Galatians is, no, no, you've been set free and you don't let yourself be taken back under law. And he gives uh, just chapter after chapter Uh, of tremendous uh, revelation about that. But I want to start today, um, and we're just going to jump around here, but let's let's start with verse 10. Because again, we we saw that Jesus was coming and and much of what he was saying uh, during the last, you know, the, the parts of his gospel that we have been reading the last few weeks, he was comparing grace and law. And he was trying to break those people free, letting them know there's a, there's a new season coming of grace. So in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 3, are you still with me? Okay. Uh, it says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because... I'll just insert the scripture says the righteous will live by faith. 
the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the scripture says, the man who does these things will live by them. Okay, so what is all, well, let's read the next couple verses. So Christ redeemed us, bought us out from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Okay, that's about three weeks worth of teaching, but let's let's just break it down a little bit. So, so back when we were reading in John chapter 8, they came and they said, what are you talking about setting us free? We're descendants of Abraham. So their thought was, because we are natural descendants of Abraham, we're good with God. We've never been slaves to anybody. What are you talking about setting us free? Paul goes back here and he starts talking about that the deal, the covenant that was made with Abraham, all right, was, was made with that one person based on the fact that that person is way before the law, hundreds of years before the law was given through Moses, God made a covenant with Abraham and he told Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you, through your seed, through a descendant of yours, all nations are going to be blessed. It's talking about Jesus Christ. All right, the law wasn't introduced for 430 years and Paul's going to get to that in just a second. So essentially a covenant is a contract. And any contract that we enter into, it says, okay, if you keep the, if you do what the contract says, then this is what's going to happen. You'll, you'll own this business, you'll own this home, you'll have this, whatever it is. It's a contract. Whatever's in there, here's what the Bible would call the blessing of the contract. This is what will happen as long as you do the stuff you're supposed to do in a timely fashion, right? We get that. Okay, so, but contracts also usually have, if you don't do that, then you're going to have to pay this fine, you'll lose this, whatever it is. There are two sides, generally, to that type of contract. The covenant that God made with Abraham was the same way. There was a blessing spoken, you will, you're, you're blessed, all the nations will call you blessed, out of your seed, all the earth will be blessed, all that kind of thing. When Moses came 430 years later and gave the law to Israel, they, in, and you can read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's a place where when the law was read to Israel, so, you know, the Ten Commandments plus some more, all right, was read to Israel. And, and under that covenant, there was blessing and there was cursing. And in Deuteronomy 28, they literally speak out over Israel the blessing of the law, verses 1 through 14. So it means if you keep this law and walk with God, all this is going to, it's wonderful. You should read it because it belongs to you, okay? All the blessing belongs to you. Then from verse 15 to verse, what is it, 67 or something like that in Deuteronomy, a bunch of verses, okay? lays out the curse of the law. And it's really awful. And that was the way it was under the old covenant. If you kept it fully, you're in the blessing. If you don't keep it fully and you don't use the system of sacrifice, I mean, God made a way, right, for them to continue. Otherwise, they'd have all been wiped out on day two. But, uh, but if you don't keep it, then you're, then you're under this curse. That was never God's intention. It was never God's purpose 
We look into the Garden of Eden and we see just, just blessing until Adam and Eve bring sin into the earth. And then the ground is cursed. It's going to be really hard for you to produce food. It's going to be really hard for you to produce children. All these things are going to happen. Wasn't God's intention. And from that moment on, he works toward redeeming us, bringing Jesus to the earth, saving us out of our own mess. Okay. Is this making sense to you so far? All right. So that's why, you know, because this language, this isn't familiar. Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do everything written in the book. That was, that is life under law. And Paul's point is you as a Christian can begin to approach your New Testament life through law. You can become a religious legalist. You can start to read the Bible and only see do's and don'ts. And man, am I doing it all? Am I not doing it all? You can totally miss that Jesus came and provided a new way for us and a new and open way. So, so Christ, verse 13, this is a powerful verse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took on, uh, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he took our sin. He became our sin at the cross so that we could be made his righteousness, all right? He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's all of us through Jesus Christ, all right? So he goes on down and he talks about the fact, like in verse 17, he says, the law that was introduced 430 years after this promise, after this covenant with Abraham, it, it doesn't set aside the covenant that was previously established. The law was put in place to show us that we can't do it on our own, right? We can't do everything written in the book perfectly. So what's the, up, you know, what's the, where do we go from there? We need a savior. That's, that was a huge message of the old covenant, all right? So in verse, jump down to verse 19 with me. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions or added because of sin until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. So he says, what was, and, and I want to read a couple more verses to you. Stay with me. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, until Jesus had come. That means it was temporary, okay? That, that made it temporary. Um, in fact, the Passion Translation here says, why then was the law given at all? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the seed, the, the child who was promised. Okay, so jump down with me one more time to verse 23. There's more I'd like to get into, but we just need to go here. Verse 23. Okay, the verses before talk about the fact that the covenant with Abraham was given as a promise. Right? That's really important. It was given as a promise. What does that mean? When somebody makes a promise to you, 
I will be there at a certain time. I will take care of that. I will do whatever. Somebody makes a promise to you. Who is responsible for keeping the promise? The promiser, right? Not much you can do about it. They promised. Either they're going to keep their promise or they're not, all right? So that means that when someone makes a promise to you, if you're going to believe that's going to happen, that's what you have to do. You have to put faith in the person who made the promise, all right? So the covenant with Abraham was just like that. It was a promise, and, it, and Abraham exercised faith to believe because he was 100 years old, and so was his wife, almost. And God's saying, you're going to have a child, and out of your descendants, they were childless. You're going to have kids at that age, and you're going to be able to raise them somehow, and you're going to survive all of this, and then out of that lineage is going to come the one who will bless the whole earth, all right? That took faith. The only way he could operate in that was by faith, all right? And so Moses said, or <laughs> Moses, I'm, I'm fine. Paul <laughs> tells us here that that covenant was made by promise and it, can, it has to be lived in by faith. Whereas the law was about the one who does everything, one who does it perfectly, he'll be blessed. If not, you're under the curse, okay? Totally different realities, right? You, you can see that. So, so when down here in verse 23, Paul says, before this faith came, in, in other words, before Jesus went to the cross and we could all move into this new covenant, which is, it is a covenant based on the Abrahamic covenant. It is a covenant of promise. It is a covenant that we enter by faith in Jesus Christ. It is all about putting faith in him. It is never about us doing good works to be blessed by God, doing good works being just trying our hardest to be better people so God will like us more, be more pleased with us, accept us more. That's not new covenant stuff. New covenant stuff is, yes, I'm growing as I put my faith in him. I abide in his word. I spend time immersed in his spirit because there's liberty there. I get more and more free from sin and free from law. And I walk with him. I spend this time in him. It is my life to be in him. And through that, my faith is what he did on that cross is what gets me in. That and that alone. Yes, I should be growing. My behavior should be changing. I should be producing different fruit. But the only way it's going to happen is by putting faith in him and living in him and tapping into him day after day. Does that make sense to you? All right. So, so Paul says, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. We were held prisoners by the law. This is, this is the NIV. It reads a little different in some of your... Locked up until faith should be revealed. What does that mean? The actual meaning of what's read there is that the law kept us in protective custody. So here's the law, and let's just think about the Ten Commandments because that's much easier for us to relate to. Ten Commandments, what do they do? They reveal God's nature, number one. Why shouldn't I murder? Because God's not a murderer, Okay. Why shouldn't I lie? God's not a liar, all right? Why shouldn't I commit adultery? Because God is faithful, okay? And so they reveal who he is. They reveal what his nature is like and give us instruction on, on what we should do, okay? It's, it is law, okay? It is commandment. But 
those commandments were given in order. They kept us in protective custody. They kept us from just wiping ourselves out through sin on the earth until Jesus could come and redeem us and bring us into this whole new way of relating to God. So so one of the functions of the law was protective custody. It was there to keep us safe. So when we think about that, when we read the Old Testament, we read those laws, our, we should always read the Old Testament through a New Testament perspective. We should read it through knowing that we are redeemed, knowing who Jesus is, knowing how he has revealed who the Father is. We read those laws and we see, man, that keeps my life safe. Holy Spirit, build that into me because that keeps my life safe. Does that make sense? So it was it was given, and it and it says here in verse twenty four. So the law was NIV says put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay, the law was put in charge. the The literal Greek there speaks of there. There used to be a household servant that. Um, was in charge of getting the children to school and making sure they got where they were supposed to be, when they were supposed to be there, that they got there safely, that they had what they needed. And and that was his job. He would get the kids to school. How many of you ever messed around on the way to school? Okay, the kids back then apparently did too. So, So there was a servant in the house. Well, that's the word that's used here as far as put in charge. It is that person, and and later that word became a word for an educator of children. So it's one of the aspects of the old covenant law was that it was to get us to Christ safely. It was to get us there. It wasn't the stopping point. It wasn't God's best. We're told that our covenant is a better covenant with better promises. Specifically, the Bible says that about itself. All right, this is all a progression. But that law was there. One of the reasons for the law was to get us where we needed to be. The Amplified Bible there says the law was our guardian, our guide to Christ, to lead us until Christ came. Okay, one more. Can you take just a couple more verses? We'll be done. It doesn't matter. Everybody that comes here knows it doesn't matter. But I like to say that kind of thing to make you feel better. Uh, So verse, verse 26, it says, Now you are all sons of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are heirs of God. We, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says we're all sons of God, it's using a Greek word that means adult children who have both privilege and responsibility in the family. Uh, it's not little, little children, okay? It's adult children. It's, it's adults who share in the business operations of the father, okay? They draw their nature from the father. They carry the father's name and authority in business. They are mature children. That's what the scripture says. You are all sons, that isn't a gender term, it means sons and daughters, whatever, you are all adult, mature 
children and you have a place, you have privilege, you have responsibility in his kingdom. All right. Um, One last thing because it ties into this. Down then in Galatians chapter 4, we'll just look at a couple verses here. Um, It says in verse 3, so when we were children, now this is little children, little children. We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. It's just talking about the law. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Okay, and you can go on and and read the rest of that. But what it's saying there is the law, it it was like we were little kids and so there was a lot of supervision around us before Christ came. And that's what the law was there to do. Again, it was there to protect, it was there to lead, it was there to do all of those things. But it's just like if you have children growing up in your house and you're training them and you're bringing them up to a point where they can take on more and more responsibility and become those mature adult children that can function with you in the family, function with you maybe in business, that kind of thing. Well, there's a period where they need a lot of supervision and correction, all of that. But then there came a day when Jesus came and we could move in to this new covenant relationship. We could move into this place of living in his word and grace, have the Holy Spirit inside of us, where then God began to, you know, the, the scripture says that those who believe in him have been given the privilege and the authority to become children of God. Now the Lord views you that way. He views you as an adult child in his house. And we are co-heirs. The Bible says this in a couple other places. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And it says there that in Galatians 4, it says that, you know, at one point you were heirs, but when a, when a little child is an heir, they're really no different than a slave. We don't have slaves, I understand. But if you look at this, they're, they're, they're no different. They, they aren't operating in the father's business yet right? They're just children in the household, and yet there's this potential set over them that someday they're going to own the whole place, all right? Well, that's how we were, we humanity, when we were under the law, it was coming. The promise was always coming. Well, now we get to live in the promise. We live in a day when we are children of God. What does that mean? That means when you go to work tomorrow, when you go out and interact with your family, whatever it is that you're doing, there's a place There's a place that you hold in the body of Christ and in God's operation in this earth right now of expanding his kingdom and bringing other people to the Lord that nobody else holds. And you are called to it. You are anointed for it. And you have, there is a maturity in you. You know, so many of us, we feel like, I don't know. I don't know how to talk to my neighbors. I don't know how to do this. But the Holy Spirit in you does. And I just want you to know today, you have this place We don't live under religious law. Grace calls us to a higher level of living. Grace actually calls us to greater holiness because it empowers us on the inside. And Jesus has entrusted the spreading of his gospel to us in this earth. And that's not a, oh no, that's a terrible response. No, it's not. It's a wonderful participation. He will not set you out there by yourself 
He sent the Holy Spirit to direct us and encourage us and walk with us and coach us every step of the way. What he's looking for in us is willingness. Just willingness and faithfulness. Does that make sense? Let's stand up and pray this morning. This is really unusual, but I did keep you over past 11 o'clock. That hasn't happened since last week. Father, Lord God, I don't even know how to put it into words. What I feel right now, the privilege that we have of standing in your presence, clean by the blood of Jesus, filled with your Holy Spirit, assigned into the earth, and partner and partnering with you in what you're doing in the earth. And I, I guess this is what I feel to pray today. Lord, with each one of us, with everyone here, those here who have made Jesus the Lord of their life, I pray, Father, that as we go out into our everyday lives, Lord, that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, that the word would be just pouring up, rising up like a fountain on the inside of us, leading us, guiding us, that, that we would have the wisdom to go into this world and help people know Jesus help people to receive everything you have for them. And Lord, also how to just, in everything we do, how to live as members of your family and everything that we do. And Father, if and I'll, I'll just pray it here this morning, if there's anybody here or anybody joining us online that hasn't met you yet, that hasn't doesn't know Jesus, I just pray, Holy Spirit, just I just ask you to keep speaking to them and, and send labors to them. And Lord, help them to come to that relationship with you that you've made so available by just putting faith in what you did on the cross. I thank you for that this morning, Lord. And as we go out, we go out as your church, as your people, as your family, as your ambassadors. And we do it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right. All right, I'm going to let you go. And there's a lot of snacks out there, all of you, especially those of you who are, well, everybody, but if you're visiting with us, please feel free to stay, get to know some people, have some snacks. There's always good stuff out there. We'd love to hang out and talk. So if anybody needs prayer for anything specific, please come up um, and talk to me after service. I'd love to pray for you. All right. Say it on the count of three. We always say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world, and then we'll be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.